ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Fairfax wants $100 million. The mags make $20 million a year. So on a cost-to-profit basis, it's a bargain. We get our money back in five years. We've got a revolution of Women's Day, an entirely new product. So, who do we get to run them? An excerpt from the miniseries Paper Giants, The Magazine Wars. The late 80s was the heyday for Australian magazines. Women's Day and New Idea were locked in battle for readership. And at that time, Aussies were the biggest consumers of magazines in the world. The 90s then gave birth to supermodels, the all-important September issue, and the birth of new titles like FHM and Who magazine. Then along came the internet, and the industry fell off a cliff. Magazine sales slumped drastically, going the way of Blockbuster and CD stores. But Roy Morgan readership figures show magazines have a new spring in their step, with titles like Australian Women's Weekly, Better Homes and Garden, Wheels and National Geographic all gaining readership in the past 12 months. And it's in regional Australia where these green shoots are really showing. I'm Sinead Mangan and this is Australia Wide, coming to you from Wadjuk Country, Perth. It was predicted that social media, Instagram and TikTok particularly, would kill the glossy magazine. But recent readership figures show that the gasping magazine trade is starting to show signs of life again. And these green shoots are particularly evident in regional Australia. Now, to talk about this, I'm joined by a host of panellists. I've got Phil Barker, who's the author of Axed, Who Killed Australian Magazines. Welcome, Phil. I'm delighted to be here. And I've got the Chief Executive of the Australian Lotteries and News Agents Association, Ben Kearney. Welcome, Ben. Thank you for having me. And I'm the editor of Grazihar, and that's Victoria Carey, who joins me from the Blue Mountains. Welcome, Victoria. Lovely to be here. Before we get stuck into the issues, uh, we did send our reporter, Nathan Morris, out to one busy news agent in Toowoomba in regional Queensland to try and understand what was happening with magazine buying habits. So I'll get you all to listen very closely to what Nathan found out and then we'll get stuck in. At the South Toowoomba News Agents, Trudy Groves has been keeping the long shelves of magazines stocked for years. Well, we stock pretty much a little bit of everything. Um, you've got your weekly magazines that we get, like your Woman's Day, New Idea, those types of ones, which are very popular and they've always been very popular. Um, we've got monthly type ones like uh, Better Homes and Gardens, uh, the Australian Woman's Weekly, Puzzles, that's a big one. Um, and obviously that you need the book, so you don't do those online usually. That's something in hand, so we do sell a lot of those. Tell me about the demographic of people buying magazines does it does it range you've just you've got the people i guess that do read stuff online but there's people that want to have that copy in their hands and i'm the same like i like to have the physical copy there and i like to look at it i don't want to scroll through on a computer so it's not just older people buying magazines it's uh, uh, you know younger people too coming yeah, in motorbike still, magazines yeah, four-wheel drive younger people yeah buying them um yeah and we've well we've obviously also got children's magazines too so you've got that demographic as well who's on the cover of some of them sometimes that will make a difference with what sells more um the royals that's still a really big thing if the royals are on something we do tend to sell more copies of that as well to get a better sense of the numbers of magazines being sold i head out the back to speak with the owner sai bergupali our weekly magazines at least we do about two to three hundred weekly magazines a week which is our weekly magazines only but when it comes to our monthly magazines or our quarterly magazines, the number differs from at least 300 to 500. 
Okay, that's that's a significant number of magazines moving through the shop. Yes. He says it was retirees who were the biggest buyers of magazines. Usually, rather than staying on the digital life, they would like to a novel or a book in their hand and just keep reading all day. But since COVID, Sai thinks people have streamlined their habits. So instead of getting groceries and then popping into the newsagent, more people are now choosing to pick up a paper or a magazine from the supermarket instead. And we are, a bit of, we are losing a bit of a business over there as well. OK, so that competition between you and the big supermarkets is a consideration, but I guess down here it's more personable. You know, yes. everyone knows everyone. Yes. That's your edge? Yes. Since from the past one year after I got this business, um, it was very hard for me to memorise my customer's name, but now... Easily out of 10 customers, I can memorize at least seven customers, their names, and I can get their magazines, what they are looking for. Okay, thank you. A little peek inside South Toowoomba's newsagent, and that was Sai Bergapali chatting there to our reporter, Nathan Morris. Now, there's lots to unpack in what's going on in that Toowoomba newsagency, and I was talking about the figures earlier. Roy Morgan statistics show an uptake in sales, and also I've, I heard uh, magazine CEO Jane Huxley say that the regional town of Toowoomba is the magazine-buying capital of Australia. Does that surprise you, Phil Barker? Uh, no, it doesn't. Maybe the Toowoomba part does, but the the fact that magazines are, are making a comeback really doesn't. And it's, it's quite exciting to see. And it, it's really fun to be talking about a, a good news story. I noticed that, that Jane Huxley was talking about magazines making a comeback. And she said that she thought that readers were tiring of a digital deluge, everything pinging and ringing and ringing, which I thought was, was a really interesting thing. But the other thing that she said in relation to that was that it was the fact that the brand strength of the titles that were still in circulation was was coming to the forefront. So I think those two things are, are really interesting. And in terms of Toowoomba's demographic, well, all I can say is well done. Ben Kearney, you'd be hard-pressed to find a news agent sometimes in a city, but yet in regional Australia, they are something of a hub. Why is it that news agents are so important in a regional town? I think there's a number of reasons, but to some degree, I guess, in regional areas, and our membership skews towards regional, is they sort of um, fill a bit of a, a gap as sort of a mini department store, I think, in, in some regional communities. You know, they offer a range of services, obviously all of their um, traditional products like magazines, um, but they've certainly branched out in recent years into um, gifts and toys and collectibles and those sorts of things. And so they're finding shoppers who like that sort of browsability of, of that experience in um, in regional stores and they tend to be maybe slightly larger footprints in those um, in those regional areas too. Ben how expensive is it for a news agent to have that whole array of magazines available for people to choose from? Oh look it certainly uses up um, some cash flow and, and certainly uses up um, you know qu- quite a bit of square meterage of the floor so you've got to make it make it um, pay for itself and um, you know there's been some pressure I think on um, like all small businesses there's pressure on margins with costs increasing but what we do know is that magazine customers you know they're very loyal and they are valuable customers we know that magazine customers will spend you know uh, quite a bit more in store often than other customers so if you do it well it can be can can be definitely worthwhile. Victoria you've worked in the magazine trade for some time and it it has been hard going there's no doubt about it but you you remain committed Are, are we seeing a swing back to magazine reading? I definitely think we are and I think there's just something you touched on earlier 
about magazine customers being very loyal. And I think in regional areas, you cannot underestimate that loyalty to the local news agent. Like I talk to people who tell me I'm getting a gift subscription to the magazine to my mother or mother-in-law or my sister, but I'm still going into my local news agent to buy that copy because they know the local news agent. They're part of that community. They want to help them keep their business going. So that's a very um, significant factor as well. Victoria, what sort of growth have you seen for demand in your publication? When I started a couple of years ago, we were quarterly. We've now moved to bi-monthly, six issues a year. So there's definitely the uptake on that. We're a small independent rural publication started by a 23-year-old girl living on a Queensland cattle property. An amazing story and we're finding more and more that there is an appetite for what we what we can produce and the stories that we tell. So, yeah, it's all going very well. Phil Barker, you wrote a book called Axed Who Killed Australian Magazines. But as you said, there's green shoots emerging. Why do you think that is? Yeah, look, I, I, yeah, I don't think they were, they were killed. So the title of my, my book is slightly <laughs> misleading. It's been uh, severely, severely injured. Um, <laughs> I think it's really interesting, you know, what's happened historically. Like, if you look at the value of the magazine industry, um, in 2008, James Packer sold the Packer Media Empire um, to an outfit called CBC Capital. Now, the magazines, this is just ACP magazines, made up 1.75 billion of that. Four years later, they were sold to um, Germany's Bauer Media for 525 million. So that's half the price. Mm. In early 2020, Bauer bought Pacific magazines for just 40 million, which brought like about 90% of Australia's magazines under sort of one shaky roof. And then that was sold to what is now um, our media, um, a private equity firm, Mercury Capital owns our media, for around 40 to 50 million with some some sources swearing it was as low as 10 million. So that goes from 1.75 billion down to 10 million um, from 2008. What an extraordinary loss of value for an industry. As we saw all those mergers happen, especially in 2020, we saw a lot of, lot of titles go and we saw hundreds and hundreds of really brilliant, passionate editorial and, and salespeople around the magazine industry lose their jobs for good. So it was a real, real trial by fire from the magazine industry. Um, especially, you know, around 2020 during the merger of um, Pacific Magazines and uh, and Bauer. What we're seeing now is the shoots poking up, the green shoots poking up through after the bushfire has been through. And what's left is, you know, smarter, stronger, uh, more nimble, more flexible, more agile. And that's where the success is going to be. It's going to be intriguing. Uh, those magazines like brands, not one-off pieces of, of, of print once a month or once a week. What form are those green shoots taking? Are they niche magazines or is it just more, you know, TV weeklies that are being sold? I think the, you know, titles like Rolling Stone, like they weren't picked up by a big publisher. I think the big publishers were really um, gun-shy and they were just looking to, to rationalise. So I think our media has done a, a quite a good job of that, actually, and, and to, to pushing the digital side of the magazines. But I think it's the, you know, the niche titles like, like Rolling Stone get picked up by 
you know, a music specialist like the Brad Media, which is the owner of the Rolling Stone brand, and it's on fire and its its readership is up. And and who would have thought that you know launching a title in these conditions would have been a thing? But but people are doing it and doing it really well. I think L magazine. There's always been sections, Phil, hasn't there, where depending on the content in that area, that have always been very stable. And I think that's what we're seeing, like lifestyle magazines, for example, interior titles, they have held very well. And I think the other thing we should talk about is that Australians are very, very good at creating really beautiful lifestyle publications. We're really good at content. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. I think the content that comes out of Australia is world class and we need to really recognise that, that there are a lot of really talented creatives working in the media industry. Victoria, there are, when you talk about that beautiful content, often if you're in some particularly holiday destinations, regional areas, you'll pick up these really stunning magazines that are a super high quality and they're like a physical form of an Insta reel almost and they've had to bring their production quality, you know, their values up to that kind of point. But that must be, surely must be very expensive to produce and how do you make that pay off in a magazine like your own? I think the whole production chain has just changed so much. Like in the couple of decades I've been in the industry, the costs have been slashed and it's just so much easier if you know what you're doing, to produce a good magazine. The small team on Grazia today are producing something that 20 years ago would have taken probably a team of at least 10. And I've always been used to working with a very streamlined team. I think, Phil, you know, people would say Victoria can put something out as streamlined as possible, which has taught me well and has allowed me to do this new title in a very, very cost-effective way. Ben, can I ask you, in terms of these high production values, when it comes to what goes off the shelf in a news agent, does it have to be at that kind of top, top level? I think it certainly helps. I mean, like, there's obviously a mixture of um, of publications um, in news agents who are arranging the products well, but I, I think having those high production values certainly helps our members to sell the product. And certainly, you know, we've encouraged innovation in the channel. There have been some great publications, um, things like Frankie and so on that came out um, a while back and, you know, things that have engaged a different audience. And, and I, I, I like the fact that Australian... Um, um, magazine publishers are trying to produce unique and high quality products. Ben, are there any particular, like what's a stable title that you can think of that you, you see time and time again goes through the news agents and has a very loyal readership amongst, particularly in regional Australia? Oh, look, I mean, I think um, um, Victoria touched on some of the um, lifestyle and home category magazines have always done very well. Um, women's interest in entertainment are very consistent and food is very consistent. But another, I suppose, outlier that's that's really bucked the trend. And, and we did see during COVID a real, um, a real comeback to magazines during that period when people were working and learning from home. And one of those is the puzzles and games category. That's been incredibly strong um, and very, very resilient for our members it's a it's a really critical category a lot of this is around COVID then there is you know games became that tactile experience of playing playing a game around the table with your family doing a crossword doing a puzzle how much of this was psychological I suppose I don't know who wants to chime into that question you know the, the changes we all this tactile experience we were all seeking at that time 
I mean, I think the physicality of the product um, is wonderful. And I think um, people, I suppose going to Jane's um, comments in the media, people are a little bit overwhelmed by digital at the moment. I mean, we're seeing resurgences in other physical media like vinyl records, which I think are now the the fastest selling um, physical media in the music industry now in America. So there's, there's some trends going on here in the background. And Phil, can I ask you the same question? I heard the news agents say there when Nathan was chatting to her, I, you know, for myself, I don't want to scroll through it. I want to look at it. I like to look at it. I like to feel it. Um, do you think people are wanting that tactile experience rather than staring at a blue screen? I think that that trend is exactly right, as described by Ben, that, that the feel, the heft, the smell, the design, the beauty of the physical product that is that is a great magazine is just something that we are the, amongst the best in the world at in Australia. And I will go back to a quote by Jane Huxley. She was saying, you know, the luxury contingent particularly love print. They love a thick, glossy page more than anybody else. But I think also you can't go past the emotional connection that Australians have with these titles. And they've absolutely stuck with the titles that they love. And the, the titles that have stuck with them are, are the ones that, that are doing really well. There, there was a great little example um, as I was writing my book. And I thought about, oh, the, the biker magazine, Live to Ride. I thought, oh, I'll, I'll look that up and see what happened to that and, and what year that died. I was just going to list, add it to the list of magazines that, that had died. No, it hadn't, hasn't died at all. The editor of the magazine has been working on that magazine since um, he was 19 years old. His, his nickname is Pugsley. So I found Pugs, and I, I used to be Pugsley's boss back in the day, and he used to ignore all the suits that came through and, I, I was one of those suits, but he um, he bought the Live to Ride title off News Corporation and now produces produces it out of his house on the south coast, and he's doing a great job. He's he's rationalised his print run. He's doing um, lots of video. He's got a, a vibrant website. He's talking to his readers on a regular basis, and he understands that it's not just a piece of print once a month. It's a brand that surrounds the reader. That was just one little story of a guy who knows his audience really well. It's an audience who, who loves the freedom of the open road and the Harley Davidson motorbikes, a very specific audience, and he's catering to them utterly beautifully. And, and that story has replicated itself across woodworking and guitars and telescopes and all sorts of specialist, specialist things that, that people really love and enjoy. And all those magazines are going really well. It's a beautiful thing to see. Victoria, what, what do you think is the content people crave? I think it's a lot to do. I mean, it's a very often used term, curation, but I do think people are overwhelmed of the onslaught of information coming at them everywhere digitally. So if you pick up a magazine which has been well edited and it's a a beautiful selection of good content which is matched by intelligent writing, good images... There's something very satisfying. People can actually escape into that magazine for a moment. But the other thing I think is really important, I was reading um, an interview with the former editor of British Vogue, Alexandra Shulman, and she was saying that competition for the inside front cover spread from all those prestige advertisers is still there. That's the ultimate. They don't want to be the banner ad, or they probably do, but... What they also really want is to have that position in a prestigious publication like Vogue. That's still so important to them. The branding is still there to be in that beautiful, high-quality print magazine.
There's a lot about this conversation, though, that goes counter to what most people think. So we're in the middle of a cost of living crisis. And to pay $14 or more for a magazine, it's a, it's a fair whack of money to be paying that. Why, Victoria, do you think people are willing to do that right now? I think they're willing to do that because it is an escape. And is it really a lot of money for many hours of enjoyment? I don't think it is. I think it's something that people can still think is a treat to have once a month, every two months. I mean, it's not that expensive. Phil, do you and think it's a bit like buying a lipstick or Ben, who, whichever, you know, I know, well, I don't know, maybe both of you do buy lipstick. I'm not sure. But, you know, there was times where, where people, you know, would, I, I will speak for myself. I buy a lipstick sometimes when I just want a little pick me up um, rather than buy a dress because that's what I can afford. Is there a bit of that in it? In news agents, what we find is obviously gifting is a big part of um, our business these days with homewares and, and different gift products. Um, and people kind of, go, you know, think of that as being, you know, buying a gift for someone else. But so often it's not. It's actually people buying little gifts for themselves. And I think in, you know, a tighter economy, maybe somebody won't go out for dinner or they might not buy that new dress, but they might buy a little luxury like a really high-quality magazine. And it's something that, you know, it lasts a while. It, you know, sits in the house and gives you joy for a period of time. And so I think we're seeing more of that in this space as being something that's just a little bit special, a little treat. Phil, what would you like to add to that? I think for, you know, less than 20 bucks, the joys and thrills that you get from a magazine sitting on your top coffee table again and again across the month is is absolutely wonderful value for money. And I can see why in a tighter economy, people aren't going out, they're not going to the pub, they're not doing things that that they might have otherwise been doing, but they can enjoy that little moment of escape into the world that they love um, by looking through a beautiful magazine. We're kind of going countercultural. Everybody thinks everything's gone digital. You know, the you know, magazines were going to die. I mean, Phil, you even wrote a book about it, thinking yeah. that this was the end of it. What is it? Why are people moving back? I'll start with you, Phil. Why are people moving back to glossies in, in what's supposedly an Insta TikTok age? I just was looking at the last two, two sentences of my book. I wrote, and I don't remember writing this, so it's a thrill for me as well. Um, there will still be winners and losers, and the losers will be those who have not learned the painful lessons of the past decade. Readers, staff, and brands must be treated with respect. Magazines are not commodities. They are beloved emotional touch points in the lives of millions of Australians. Care and quality cost a little more and takes a little more effort, but in the end, it matters. And I think, I think, the care and quality that, you know, with titles like Victoria's and like the other titles that are successful that we're talking about is coming to the forefront. And I also think even our media that we thought was just, you know, didn't know what was going to happen there, but they are really paying a lot of attention to the to the 85% of the Australian titles that they have under their, under their roof. And I think they're treating them with care and respect and I think they're investing in them. And I think if I, I was um, the CEO of Mercury Capital, I'd be a very happy man. And so it, it comes back to, to the, your quote from Paper Giants at the start. Someone's made a very smart financial decision there. Victoria, for you, why is this trend being bucked? Look, I, I just think that it's, it's nothing, nothing new. We've seen lots of disruption again. And as a journalist, I just find it's a wonderful challenge to tell stories in different ways. And I think going cross-platform, yes, print is at the heart of what we do. But everything around it, Instagram, 
etc., is just another avenue to sort of strengthen that core brand. I mean, they're all working together. So I think it all comes down to good quality storytelling. Ben Kearney, supposedly the old song goes, video killed the radio star, but, you know, there's still radio happening and there's definitely podcasting happening. Did Insta kill the glossies? Oh, look, no, I don't think so. And I think um, both Phil and Victoria have summed that up beautifully. I mean, there's just an authenticity to the experience. And um, and we certainly um, feel very strongly that this is still a really important category. And if it's, you know, to Phil's point, if it's managed really, really well, um, certainly news agents are going to support it strongly for a long time into the future. Well, it was a pleasure to speak to all three of you. Phil Barker, who is the author of Axed, Who Killed Australian Magazines, and he's an epilogue to come. Ben Kearney, the Chief Executive Officer of the Australian Lotteries and News Agents Association and the editor of Grazier, Victoria Carey. Thanks very much for joining me on Australia Wide. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sinead. And that is Australia Wide for this Thursday. I'm Sinead Mangan. I hope you have a lovely evening. Cheerio. Listen.